All right. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Nicole. I'm a compulsive overeater. It's so nice to see all you beautiful faces this early on a Saturday morning, a meeting that I've been coming to for quite some time. So thank you, Bob, um, for asking me to to share. Um, and I guess I'm just going to stick to the script and just tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. So if I think back, and welcome to all the newcomers too, we're so glad that you're here. When I think back to the first memory I have of compulsively overeating, I was about seven, I believe, and I was walking my dog and I was eating those crunchy, salty things. And I remember thinking, how many of these crunchy, salty things can I put in my mouth and chew before I had to swallow because my mouth was so full. I really remember that. It's so clear. So what was going on in my house? What was life like those early days for me? Um, My household was very chaotic. There was a lot of verbal abuse. My parents divorced when I was one, so I didn't even know my biological dad till I was 20, and I flew to Florida on a work trip, and out of the blue, without any preparation or thinking, I just thought I would just call him up and and talk to him. When I think about it now, it sounds like one of those Lifetime movies, but um, it actually happened, and I'm glad it did. That was God working in my life when I didn't really know it yet at the time. Um, so growing up in, in my house, I have a mother, I love her, but she's very narcissistic and there was no modeling of how to deal with life, life on life's terms, how to deal with feelings. What do you do when you're sad? What do you do when you're angry? What do you do when you're afraid? You know, uh, kids need to know things like that. Um, children need to know, you know, how to process emotions. And my mother just, she did not know how to do that. And so I didn't learn. And what I saw from my mother and everyone around me at the time was this huge emphasis placed on weight and dieting and the way you looked. It was all about weight. And my mom was always on a diet or she was at a spa, fat farm to lose the weight. Um, She told me how important it was. If you want to meet a husband, if you want to get on in life, be successful. I also heard that from my grandfather. I also saw that in the media, in magazines, on TV, in movies, such an emphasis on weight, weight, weight. Like it was the most important thing. The biggest goal in life was to get to that weight and then dot, dot, dot. And then you will be happy and then you will meet someone and then you'll have a career and then life will be good. And uh, my girlfriends, when I go to school, they were all super skinny and they would eat a muffin. And that's all they would eat all day long is a muffin. And I saw the preoccupation with weight and food and exercise from a really young age. And so I just figured that must be the goal in life. And, um, I started exercising and dieting. And the funny thing is, is when I look back at pictures, I was not overweight. I was a completely normal sized person. But in my head, I developed this dysmorphia and this 
you know, if I could squeeze my leg or I could squeeze this, then it shouldn't be there. I need to do something about it. So um, I had to learn to be self-reliant from a really early age. My mom was physically there sometimes, but not emotionally, not in any other way. And so I had to figure things out on my own. So that's where my self-will came in, my survival skills, my self-reliance, because I had to figure it out. I didn't know that there was anything bigger. Um, I was just a kid. Okay. I don't know. I think someone was unmuted. Um, anyway, so I learned to control, you know, when I'm self-reliant, I learned to control things around me. Um, I am a recovering perfectionist. I like things perfect. If I can't do it perfect, I don't want to do it at all. Um, yeah, it's just that controlling and the self-reliance and the self-will, you know, that's what I relied on because those were my coping mechanisms and my survival skills. And whenever I felt any feelings, I would just eat because, you know, as a kid, I didn't know about other things to do, but food was readily available in the house. And I noticed that when I ate, it was a soothing, a calming effect on my body, you know, um, just um, uh, almost like a comatose thing. It would just bring me down and that I didn't have to um, feel things, feel things so strong. I heard an AA speaker, might've been Clancy say, you know, I'm not a drinker because I drink. I'm a drinker because I feel. And I, it's the same thing with overeating, you know. Um, I overate because of the enormity of uh, the, 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 the feelings. And I didn't know how else to deal with them. And that's why I overate, absolutely. And so growing up, I was the good girl. I didn't want to make any waves in the house. I never wanted to upset my mother I became a people pleaser. I didn't want to upset the apple cart. I didn't, never wanted anyone to be upset with me. Um, I was always looking for that calmness and peace in my life. And I guess I thought, you know, if I was just good and did everything right, you know, it would, I'd have some peace at home and peace in my life. And so then I went to school, went to college. Um, at some point, at some point I found myself in my apartment. Um, I'm sure some of you relate to this with closing the blinds and life got too much for me, you know, closing the blinds, getting all the food, like I was ordering for a family, um, watching TV because when I'm watching TV, it takes my mind off of what I'm doing with the food. Um, and then I would eat. And the only prayer I ever knew, because I always sensed there was a higher power that was God out there. But the only prayer I knew growing up was, God, please make me thin. God, please make me thin. And um, that never worked, by the way. <laughs> and uh, at some point, I remember sitting in my apartment and I was in my 20s. And I remember thinking, is this it? Is this what life is? You know, isolating, canceling plans with friends, not being accountable, um, not being someone I could, could depend on me, um, staying away from everyone and just eating. It's just eating, eating the sugar, eating the salt, watching movies, falling asleep, getting up, eating. How am I going to get the food? 
where am I going to get the food? How am I going to throw out the food without anyone knowing I got the food? And it, it was all consuming 100% of my time was all surrounded by that. And I was missing all of the beauty and all the um, wonderful things that life has to offer. But I was so down and so depressed and I didn't know, I didn't know why I, I couldn't stop eating. I couldn't, I couldn't stop eating at some point. I mean, that absolutely the disease is permanent and progressive and it, it gets worse over time. And, um, I think when I hit my bottom, cause I definitely hit a bottom and I hit that desperation and it was when I said, to myself when I was sitting there watching the clock, like the minutes go by and thinking, is this going to be it till the end? And, um, and then I said, you know what? I don't care about being thin anymore. I just want to be happy. I just wanted to be relieved of all this horrible thoughts and, um, the obsession. And, um, that's when I heard about OA. Someone told me about the program. And I was so scared to walk in my first meeting. And uh, I grew up on the West Side and it was in West Side Pavilion. And I had to walk through the food court to get there. And I remember, um, and this was in 1992, July of 1992. And I remember when they asked, you know, who are, who is new? I would never raise my hand because I just never wanted any of focus on me. And I was just so full of shame, shame and guilt. And, um, so I didn't. And at the end, when I walked up to the literature table, oh, and by the way, the crazy thing about it, coincidence, not coincidence, is that there was someone in there that I knew that was crazy. And I didn't know that they were going and, um, uh, yeah, that was just one of those things that um, brought us together. And so I, I went to the literature table and I'm a really good student and I bought all of the books and I said, I'm going to take them home and I'm going to do this thing on my own because I'm self-reliant and I can do this and I'm a really good study and I could figure it out by reading. I'm going to figure it out. Well, I guess you can guess that doesn't work. And um, didn't understand the program. When I first came in, I just thought it is a diet. I had no idea that I was spiritually sick and emotionally um, unable to deal and process um, uh, any kind of feelings in a healthy way. And so um, I came back defeated yet again and said, well, maybe I should open my ears and be open-minded and see what this program really has to offer. And I got a sponsor and I worked through the steps and I lost all the weight I needed to lose. And I started getting a life and I, I got married and um, to a wonderful man. And, um, and, and life was good. Life was really good. I was embracing life and I was dealing with life on life's terms and I was putting myself out there and things were really good for quite a while until I got to that part where it talks about in the big book about not resting on your laurels, you know, and I remember thinking, oh, do I have to do this every day forever <clears throat> for the rest of my life? This is what I have to do. Um, 
And so I relapsed. And in the almost 30 years that I've been in program, I've had probably about maybe five relapses, four or five relapses. Um, majority of those years have been abstinent. And usually my relapses were months at a time. And this time, when a few years ago, when I came back um, to program, or well, I, I like to say I recommitted myself to the program and to working the steps all over again and to getting a sponsor and doing it a different way. Because I kind of do want to talk about um, what relapse did for me. And for me, this program is a repetitive program. And what that means for me is there's certain things I need to do all the time. And when I got tired of doing those things, like the reading and the writing and the working steps and going to meetings and, um, you know, using the tools and um, I always had God with me, but I didn't, you know, enlarge and perfect my spiritual life, perfect meaning to work at not perfection, which I used to read it as I had to be perfect. Um, I realized that when I'm not doing those things and I'm in the disease, it is also repetition because you get up in the morning, you, you dread what you ate the night before. You figure out how you're going to get your fix for the day and then the mental obsession and then it, it takes over the whole day. So what I realized that it was a choice that life is repetitive. So I can choose the recovery repetition or I can choose the disease repetition. And I have free will, I can choose either one. Um, and I think when I realize that it's either or, you know, one or the other, then um, yeah, I'm gonna do this repetition thing because this repetition thing works and it keeps me abstinent. The other thing is I wasn't doing a daily 10 step, you know, and looking at my fears for the day and my resentments and um, it was I honest, was I selfish, you know, doing a daily 10 step, talking to someone when um, things come up, uh, being honest, being completely honest. I have a sponsor who's just wonderful and I talk to her every day. I used to think every day you have to talk to someone. It's a gift. It's it, it's a joy, and I, I'm so grateful. She's so um, giving with her time, and um, so I talk to her every day. And I talk. First thing I think of in the morning when I talk to her is, what don't I want to tell her today? You know, because I need to be brutally honest with everything. I have to have. I think we all need at least one person on the planet that we could just say anything to and still be loved and, accept, and accepted. Um, also sponsoring giving back um, was a really big thing too. being of service and um, choosing that recovery wolf. And I'm sure, you know, or a lot of you probably know the story about, you know, the grandfather telling his Five minutes left, Nicole. Okay. Thank you. Uh, the grandfather telling the grandson a story about, we all have two wolves inside of us, the recovery wolf and the disease wolf, and they're always fighting against each other. And the child asked the grandfather, so who, which one wins? And he says, whichever one you feed more. And so the more I do for my program, the more recovery I have, the stronger my recovery is. Also, um, I pray every day to be, to remember, first of all, 
remember those repetitive things to accept, be an acceptance of all things, people, places, situations to be. And mostly accepting about myself because knows nobody harder on me than than I have been in my life. And so just love and acceptance and to enlarge and perfect my spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, sponsoring being of service. Really, those are the things, those were my pitfalls, my list of pitfalls. And and um, dealing with fear, you know, because underlying all my character defects, which my most glaring ones are perfectionism and control, pride and ego, shame, all of them have that underlying fear and to, to uh, deal with the fear, which is, oh my gosh, it's so debilitating because, you know, when I'm not overeating, I feel everything so much more. Everything is so much more. And on page 67 in the big book, it talks about fear in response to the inventory. This short word touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. Um, it says, perhaps there's a better way we think so, for we are now on a basis of trusting and relying on God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play his role he assigns just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity so whatever is going on in my life you know if i just remember to trust and have faith you know in my higher power there's nothing too small or too big that i can't get through things like doctor's appointments births and deaths and um traffic and you you name it i know in my life now that um there's nothing nothing too big or small that I can't take to my higher power. And just that feeling, and I remember saying that in my prayers every day too, just that feeling of knowing that I'm not alone. God is with me. And I could turn my fear, I can turn my character defects, ask God to remove them and turn my attention to helping someone else. That That's so comforting because this book, this wonderful book here, which I have highlighted and underlined and have forever and I have post-its on all the very important parts like for me that speak to me that I could easily find this book is a manual, you know, it's an instruction manual and it tells me that this is how I recover. It tells me that, that it, one of the main objects is to find a higher power that will solve my problem. It doesn't say might solve my problem. It says will solve my problem. I think that's on 14 or something. And um, it's been my savior, really, my, my God, th- this book. Um, um, so grateful for the program. Just remember to be grateful every day. There's so many things to be grateful for. Grateful for my sponsor. I'm grateful for the principles of the program. Grateful for my family. Um, and speaking of family, I'll just wrap up by saying I'm... It, I can't even express the gratitude I have for this program in terms of my relationships with my family. I mean, with my husband, um, several years after I started program and my life changed and I changed and I became a better person, a better wife, a better friend. My husband got into AA. He's been sober now 19 years. And what chills me to the bone is the thought of that. He said it was because 
he saw how I changed in program. And that's kind of what it's about in program, you know, is be the example, just be the example, be the light. So the fact that I did that for him and 19 years later, you know, we were married 30 years now and our relationship is better than ever. And my kids, my kids, oh my God, my beautiful kids, they didn't have to grow up with the chaos in the house that I did. That's your time, Nicole. Okay. So um, I'm really grateful to break that cycle, you know, with my own kids and have uh, two beautiful, healthy, physically, mentally, emotionally present kids. So I'm most grateful for that. And thank you all for letting me share. That wasn't so bad, was it? (laughs) Thank you, Melissa. This is time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember, excuse me, please remember that the um, opinions of the leader are my own. Yes. And not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. Um, Let's see, if you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. And then it says stop at 9.50. Okay. So I see Pam. Miss Pam. Hi. um, Thank you. Great share, Nicole. It's really good to hear you. And um, I just wanted to ask you about how you work your, um, your spiritual program around fear and food and stuff like that. Well, thank you for that question. Um, My spiritual program. Okay. Um, Well, every morning I get up and I say my prayers pretty much first thing in the morning. And when I first came into program, I didn't know really how to pray, even though I went to religious school, but we weren't religious. And so when I came into program, I, I went to a 12 step bookstore. I don't know if they have them anymore, but it was, it was this 12 step for all 12 step programs. And I bought a book, uh, 12 step prayers. And, um, I learned prayers from, for all the different steps until this day. And this is almost 30 years later. I still say many of those prayers and it takes me, I don't know, a good, a good 15, 20 minutes to, to do my prayer and meditation in the morning. And um, if I'm distracted, I start over where I started getting distracted because I need to connect. I need to connect with my higher power. Um, I need to really feel that. And um, so I uh, do that. Um, writing helps me get to my fears and character defects and connect with God. Having a God box, I have a God box by the bed and a lot of days, whatever I'm feeling, I turn it over by writing it on a post-it and putting it in my God box, getting it out of my head. If I don't get it in my head, I start to ruminate and it just, you know, it doesn't stop until I talk to my sponsor about it, till I write about it, till I give it to God, to ask God to remove that character defect. And when all else fails and I'm completely consumed with something, just be of service in or outside a program that, that works every time. And my relationship with God is wonderful. I take him with me in the car. I take him with me into the doctor's office. Um, 
I feel the presence all the time, especially when I'm out in nature and hiking. I hear his voice really clear um, right through me. And uh, yeah, I hope that answers your question. A lot of prayer, meditation. Thank you. Uh, Dee? Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, so first of all, Nicole, thank you so much for your share. Um, I wanted to ask you, could you share a little bit more about your relapse and how you were able to come back from that? Thank you. Sure. Uh, I feel like I'm an expert on that. I mean, sure, my pride and ego wants to say I came in almost 30 years ago and got struck abstinent and um, never looked back. It's not my story. I had to struggle with things in order to grow. I need to, I personally needed to go back to the food to start over. Um, I hope and pray that it's not that way for anyone else. It's just my story. Um, so coming back, it's, I always reached a point where I was really down and depressed and I hit that desperation. You know, I heard another speaker in AA say the, di the difference of those who recover and those who don't is that gift of desperation where you are willing to do what you don't want to do. You know, if I always did what I wanted to do, then I would get what I got, which was pain and suffering and sorrow and unhappiness and isolation and all of that. But if I do the things I don't want to do, which I do them every day, by the way, I get a beauty and love and happiness and peace and serenity and all of that. So I can't afford to do what I want to do. And so what always brought me back into the rooms was the, the hopefulness of the program of the people in it. And let me open my mind, let me open my mind yet again and, um, dive deeper into the steps, dive deeper. It's like that peeling of the onion thing. And so that's what it took for me to come back into program. And um, my program, especially spiritually and, and emotionally, has never been as strong as it is today. Um, of course, I, um, well, I guess that's pretty much what you want to talk. I could talk about menopause and the whole food thing, which is a whole other thing dealing with. <laughs> it's a whole new ballpark, but. Okay, thanks for your question. Thank you. All right, Benny. Thank you, uh, Nicole. That was one of the most helpful shares at the right time that I've ever heard in my life. And sidebar, I, I am in menopause and I have questions about that and I was gonna call you anyway. Um, and thank you everyone who's here. Um, I guess I just wanted to quickly ask about the sort of chicken and egg aspect of the food and recovery. A lot of my stuff, um, like all of us, it's emotional. It's around my family. It's around my self-esteem. It's around sabotaging my career. And so I'm still using the food, even though I'm taking incremental steps. So I feel like if, if I've been using the food for 50 years to soothe and I'm still in step one and I'm still sort of emotionally easily triggered, how do you get the strength to put the food down? Or do you just have to white knuckle it and put the food down? You know, it's like a chicken and egg kind of a thing. And I'm just, I have not been willing. I've lost some weight, but I haven't been willing to. I feel like the last thing I'll say is, and I'm using this as an excuse, I use food for sure. I don't obsess about food a way that I hear in these rooms. I obsess about my self-esteem, my career, my family, dating, but I don't obsess about the food, but I do use the food. So I'm having trouble 
putting it down and thinking it's the most important thing when the emotional stuff seems so much bigger. So thank you. Okay, let me get some clarity on that. So basically, um, you're asking about where the food plays and and all of this. Like how you get the strength if you're if you're still in step one and the food is yeah. still to help in the moment and I'm still having angst. I don't have yeah. peace. How do I put the thing down that's giving me peace when I'm still in step one? Is what I'm okay. Asking. Well, this is assuming you know what th those foods are, right? Um, I had a sponsor once who said to me, don't eat flour and sugar for 30 days. And I'm like, but I don't have a problem with sugar. And she said, well, you won't mind giving it up. Hmm. And I think the thing about putting the food down first is I know for me, I can't get clarity on things if I'm eating. So I have to put it down. And it's kind of goes back to that. I can't ask myself if I want to eat that or not, because obviously I'm going to want to eat whatever. It just, it has to be something that I talk about with my sponsor coming up with an abstinence, um, not making it so rigid that I'm going to set myself up to fall. Sometimes it's just cutting out a little bit at a time, maybe a portion at a time or a type of food at a time, like slowly doing it um, worked for me. Like I, years ago, I cut out bread many years ago and I thought there's no way I could go through my life without eating bread. And I haven't eaten bread in almost 30 years. Um, it's one day at a time, talking with my sponsor, committing my food to her. I tell her what I'm going to eat. And it's usually three meals and a snack. Um, and if I decide I want to eat something that's not on that plan, um, I tell myself, you know what? I can have that tomorrow. I didn't put it on my plan today. Um, so it just starts with, you know, having those boundaries, uh, which you work out with your sponsor and you just do it like the Nike commercial. You just do it. If I ask myself if I wanted to do these things all the time, you know, I'm, it doesn't work that way. I just, I have to have clear, defined abstinence and work with my sponsor helps me to do that and gives me clarity. And then each day it does get easier because you get better and better adept at the tools and working the steps and it, it gets easier. It really does. So hang in there. Thank you. Thank you. Deb? Thank you so much. Um, that was just amazing. You speak about your relationship with your sponsor. Do you sponsor and how do you sponsor if you do? Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> um, yes, I do sponsor. I have currently one sponsee, um, but I am taking on uh, looking for other people to take through the steps. And um I go straight through the big book, you know, um, and, and that's the way it work, works for me um, with also the OA and the AA 12 and 12 as supplemental readings at the same time and um, just work through it and as fast as possible without skipping things. But um, yeah, and talking to my, whoever I'm sponsoring, every day because it was invaluable to me to get that time with my sponsor and it made all the difference in the world. Um, every day, we talk at least six days a week for sure. And uh, a great gift and um, just, we go through the book together. We just go through the book. It's all laid out in there. Thank you. 
So I haven't seen it raise hands, but Nicole, I have a, a question for you and, and thank you for your share. You talked about some, I would say, character defects, maybe like perfectionism uh, and other character defects. And you seem to imply that fear was sort of, sort of underlying all of them. Uh, can you talk about fear and uh, how that has actually changed in the program? Yeah, I mean, when I started out, if I was ever afraid, I would just eat and numb myself out so I wouldn't be afraid. Or I wouldn't, it would stop me from do, participating in life, right? Um, it would stop me from taking a class or going on vacation um, because if I didn't look a certain way, then I didn't deserve to go and enjoy myself. I had to look a certain way. So um, uh, fear, uh, so debilitating, so paralyzing, and it just ruminates in the head. And I have to remember to be present. And I have to remember to trust and rely on God. You know, I forget that sometimes. I get so much in the fear of whatever it is. I forget to ask God, oh, God, can you can you help me with this? Can, uh, can I get, I'm going to give this to you. Can you remove this? Five minutes left for Q&A. Thank you. Thanks. Um, yeah, fear, it's. Yeah, huge. So, but my higher power has never left me. I moved away from my higher power. My God is always there when I'm willing and able. And I had this dream. I'll tell you real quickly about this dream I had when I was doing the third step many years ago that stayed with me because I've had a spiritual awakening as the result of working these steps, but I've also had a couple of spiritual experiences. And one of them, um, was I was dreaming and I was dreaming I was in the ocean and I was drowning in the ocean and I was trying to save myself because I was self-reliant and I could save myself I thought and when I was I, I just remember so clearly thinking oh my god I'm gonna die I can't save myself and I started to go under the water and I started to use my hands and my legs to get up to the surface to save myself. I couldn't do it. And it was like, ah, oh, I can't save myself. And as soon as like I admitted that to my innermost self that I can't do it of my own, a big hand reached down under the surface and grabbed me and pulled me up. And that still gives me chills to this day. That's when I realized I need to rely on him. I need to turn my fears and my life over to him. And that's what I try to do on a daily basis. And my fear gets less the more I do it. Like speaking is a huge fear for me. And lately I've been asked to speak a lot and I say yes, because I learned how to say no in the program when it's appropriate to say no. But I know God is giving me opportunities and challenges to work through my fear and my other character defects. And speaking is one of them. So when I was asked to do it, my first reaction is, no fucking way. I'm sorry. I'm not doing it. I can't do it like a toddler. No, 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 no. And I was in the market at the time. I got Bob's text, I think it was. And I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do that meeting. That's too big of a meeting. I can't. And then it's like, no, if I couldn't do it, God wouldn't put it in my path. God wants me to do it because God wants me. My higher power wants me to grow and you only grow by by doing. And so this is another way, Vincent, in a long way to say about the fear, 
to work on taking that fear down. The more I confront it and turn it over, the better it is. Thanks. Thank you. Bob? Yes, very quickly, Nicole. Um, what what did you do when you came back? How did you release your ego or your fear to come back to the program? Um, desperation. You know, I wanted to have a life because I knew how good life could be in program because I've been in program for so long. And I wanted that again. I was ready to do whatever it takes. And I just came back. I went to meetings. I shared. Um, I got my uh, sponsor who I've known for a lot of years. We started talking every day. We started working the steps. We started um, just everything, uh, everything that the program tells me to do. I just became open and willing to do it, open and willing to be honest, like brutally honest with someone. Um, and just walking in the room and feeling the love and acceptance and the hope of the program. Um, I knew it was there because it worked for me before. I had no doubt it would work for me again. And God didn't bring me all this way to just drop me and say, it's not going to work for you. You used up your, your times. It's not going to work for you anymore. My God is loving and accepting. And the people in the program are loving and accepting and it feels safe. Um, and it also was Zoom, I have to say, because I go to meetings every day, every day. I'm always in at least two to three big book studies a week, always in a step study. I'm in a body image meeting, dealing with a body focus image meeting, and also an over 50, because I think they're just new, revealing, wonderful things that happen over 50. And um, yeah, so that's desperation really just got me back in willing to do whatever it takes and um knowing like the the prize you know what i get all the wonderful things that's our time and so i'm super grateful and thank you for everyone for your questions and for being here today